Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Talos Takes. I am joined again by Ed Bells from Kenna Security. Thanks for coming on again, Ed. Thanks for having me again, John. So as part of our ongoing Kenna 101 series uh, today, you and I are going to be talking about patching and mitigation strategies. And something that we always preach at Talos in our blog posts is just that you know, patch and and patch again. What was kind of interesting to me was what kind of came up around the supply chain attacks last year in 2021 with Kaseya and SolarWinds, where we even had to remind people that, yes, patching is still your best way to go, even though sometimes it can kind of come back to haunt you if attackers are able to compromise an MSP or something like that. But at the end of the day, we're always preaching that that patching is going to be your best option no matter what. I'm going to just start out by asking you what your general philosophy is around patching. Yeah, so it's funny because we look at it at the Kenna lens is basically there's there's two tools that an organization has uh, in front of them to address this, right? And the problem being is that there's an awful lot of vulnerabilities out there to patch, right? So they, they can do two different things to, to help with that. One is automation, right? And some of the best orgs have a lot of automation in place to to, to really kind of almost operationalized patching on a regular basis. Uh, and the other is prioritization because there's certain things that you just can't automate and where you can't, you got to prioritize the most important, the riskiest things that are out there on the most important assets, on the most exposed assets first, right? So that's kind of what we see orgs doing. But then there's a lot of different remediation strategies that I would say are within that prioritization realm, right? In terms of how they prioritize. Um, and, and we can go into that, but there's, it, it's, it's amazing how many different ways you could have to prioritize a vuln. Yeah. So what, how does exactly does Kenna kind of help with that prioritization then that you mentioned, uh, what are some of the things that you might take into account when you are trying to set your priorities? Is it solely based on, you know, just a risk score or a severity or anything like that? We obviously use risk scores uh, within Kenna, and I would say that severity and a bunch of other things feed into that to, autom- mm-hmm. to generate that risk score, right? So things that we're looking at, first, starting at the vulnerability itself. I want to know, is there any sort of weaponized exploit that we know about for this vulnerability already? Are we seeing exploitations in the wild for it? If so, what's the volume and velocity of those exploitations? Do we see it once? Have we seen it 100,000 times an hour, somewhere in between? What is uh, the asset that this vulnerability affects? How important is this asset? Is this asset exposed to the internet? We want to basically start to feed and understand two, I mean, it comes down to two factors, right? Which is how likely is this vulnerability to be exploited? And then what is the impact if that vulnerability does exploit? So those severity things do feed into things like impact as well. So this remote code execution? Is this information disclosure? Is it privilege escalation? All of these things go into that as well to ultimately come up with a risk score, not only for the vulnerability, but probably more important for the asset, right? Because I really want to understand is how do I reduce the risk for a given asset or any group of assets within my environment? Something that we talked about in the, the 101 episode that we recorded on Kenna was about how like Kenna can be of use to pretty much any sized security team. But one of the appeals of it is that you might just be able to kind of set it and forget it kind of a thing. If you are hypothetically a smaller security team or even a larger team where you we all have 
a difficulty managing our time right now. So is that kind of like the best option for some folks really just to like, hey, I'm going to set all this stuff in Kenna and I'm just going to let it do its thing in the background all the time? So, yes, although I, I wouldn't say forget it. Um, <laughs> what I would categorize it as is, yes, you, you kind of use it as part of your that decision making process. Right. So, again, the org is going there's going to be some orgs that are going to have a certain set of vulns. Uh, I use the example of Microsoft Patch Tuesday. Right. I don't really yep. care about the risk of the vulnerability. I'm patching everything. Right. I, I've operationalized this. It goes through change management. It runs through my SCCM and I automatically patch everything regardless. Then there's other things where I don't have automation set up or they're much more difficult to patch. Frequent example I use is patching Java, right? If I if I up-level Java, now I got to do a lot of regression testing of my apps that are using it. I got to do a whole lot of other things that, that go into it. And it's a lot of much more manual effort to do this. And therefore, I got to prioritize these things as based on risk, right? And that, that security risk of the vulnerability and again, of the asset. What I would say is you run it in the background, it's constantly looking and, and those risks change based on you know what's going on with the attackers and, and the footprint and everything else. As I start to monitor these things and if something goes up in risk, I might need to jump on that quicker than other things, but then I start to bake SLAs around those risks and things like that. So I know that if it's of a certain threshold within my org, I need to remediate that within X number of days versus something else that I can probably push out and, and maybe address with other compensating controls as well. And so the other part of this too is mitigation strategies and not just patching, because sometimes a vulnerability isn't gonna have a patch, it's in zero days, but sometimes there's not gonna be a patch that you can implement immediately. So what are some good mitigation strategies that folks can take a patch isn't available? I know something that we write about a lot is just trying to isolate or separate the affected software and hardware from your environment. Is there anything else outside of that? Yeah, absolutely. And it, again, it's going to be very dependent on the vuln and the asset. But, you know, we see all kinds of different things. And even if there is a patch, my, it might take me a longer time to to get that patch out and deployed everywhere where I need it deployed. Imagine I got, I'm in a org with many millions of assets out there. You don't just patch all of those overnight. So what can I do in the meantime? And it could be, you know, upstream on the network, right? The, through I, IPS rules or firewall rules or something like that, depending on the vuln. It could be on the endpoint itself, right? And, and adding additional signatures to my endpoint protection or my EDR or, you know, the monitoring of, of things as well. And then, of course, my favorite compensating control of all, which is turn off services that you just don't need. I'm curious, what are some examples of like services that you might just not need just as someone who's never had to like deal with that kind of stuff before? Sure. I mean, it, there's all kinds of different things, which imagine, if you will, has uh, found a new vulnerability in Firefox and that it's sitting on a server, right? Why, why do I even need Firefox on my server, right? Just turn it off, right? I, that, that's a, a silly example, but it's actually probably an example that we see a lot of is sure. browsers on servers, right? And, and generally speaking, any sort of kind of thing that you would think are more traditionally focused or, or used on the endpoint that you just don't need in a single use environment. Well, I think that's all, all the specific questions I have for you. Is there anything else though on the topic that you kind of just wanted to get out there in general or anything you think I missed? Yeah, I think in general, and, and we publish a bunch of independent research with the Scientia Institute around remediation strategies. In fact, even going all the way back, I think there's eight volumes now, but going all the way back to volume one, 
where we looked at all of the different types of common remediation strategies we see, whether that be using CVSS or using bug track or using a, a vendor list or, or advisory list or something like that. And then measuring the metrics. If, if I just focused on, say, example, CVSS seven and above, how many vulnerabilities would I end up remediating that we were seeing exploitations in the wild for, or we saw some sort of weaponization of those vulnerabilities versus the other remediation strategies. So I definitely encourage anyone just to take a look at those research reports. There's a lot of dense information in there and a lot of data backing it up, but it's, it's a pretty interesting uh, outlook. Awesome. I'll be sure to link to those that in the show notes for anyone listening and, and wants to do some further reading. And uh, the episode also that I recorded with Jerry Gamblin on reading CVE reports, uh, we have a really interesting conversation about severity scores and CVSS scores too that kind of play into what you were just talking about. I learned a lot of cool stuff in that episode. So if folks haven't heard that one, that'll be live in the feed before this one. Well, thanks as always, Ed, for your time. I appreciate it. And best of luck with the rest of your week. Thank you, John. Appreciate it.